Let us pray. Give us grace, O Lord, not only to hear your word with our ears, but also to receive it into our hearts and to show it forth in our lives for the glory of, our, of your great name. Amen. Well, good morning. Do pull out uh, the Pew Bibles and turn to the Matthew reading we had, the famous opening words of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, they're on page 750. 785, was it? Yes, thank you, uh, Ken. Uh, because those are the words we're going to be looking at this morning. And uh, over the next three weeks, I want to show you how the Bible challenges you about your relationship with the things you have. I want to show you that according to Jesus, true blessedness is not what you think it is. And that what you need most in the world is not what you think you want. And if that's the case, then your whole life's pursuit should be something different. Not pleasure, not significance, not success, but something that Jesus calls the kingdom of God. So I want to ask this morning to start that series by asking, are you truly blessed? And then who really are the blessed people in this world? Who are those people who we would consider blessed? Who is it that we admire as those who are living the pinnacle of human existence? Who is doing life well? Now, I think if we were to write the Sermon on the Mount for 21st century eastern suburbs Australia, we would say something like this. We would say, blessed are you when you pay off your mortgage and own a piece of Sydney real estate. Blessed are you when you can travel in the front of the plane. Blessed are you when there are some people in the world who do what you say. Blessed are you when lots of people like your posts and selfies. Blessed are you when you get recognised in the street as someone just a little bit famous. Blessed are you when you get your dream job. Blessed are you when you, get, when, when you meet your soulmate and you never argue with them. Blessed are you when you are thin and maybe even a little bit hot. Blessed are you when you are the member of an exclusive invitation-only club. Blessed are you when you know influential people by their first name. Malcolm, for instance. Blessed are you when your kids go to the most prestigious private schools. And I think this exercise tells us a lot about what has captivated our hearts. Who we think is blessed tells us what we really long for. And these are the things that we think will give us the three S's, security, success, and significance, security, success, and significance, we think those things are the things that 
our dreams are made of. They will give us security, success, and significance. And so we dream of them. Now, the thing about living in our times is that we uniquely in history, or more in a more unprecedented, intensified way in the history of the world, live in a culture of consumerism. And how does that work? Well, consumerism works because the deepest longings of our souls have been attached to products or experiences that we need to buy. Once upon a time, if you look at newspapers a 100 years ago and you see the ads, you, you notice that you advertise things by telling people facts about the product. But then came along a bloke called Edward Bernays. Edward Bernays was the nephew of Sigmund Freud, the great psychoanalyst. He came to America in the 1920s with the idea of taking Freud's theories about our unconscious desires and applying them to marketing. And it was genius. What if you could come up with getting away, to getting people, for instance, to vote or to buy things on a mass scale? Now, Bernays worked out that it was far more effective to link products or political candidates to our dreams and desires than to tell us facts about them, to make us feel things about goods. It's impossible to overstate the, the importance, the impact of this idea on the world in which we live, the world in which we're immersed like the proverbial frog in the saucepan of hot water. The world we walk through every day is governed by this idea. Bernays had a great insight into the human soul, into your soul and mine. If you can get people to emotionally connect their dreams and longings with products, you will sell them in great numbers. And we don't have to believe it rationally. We will accept emotionally what we know can't be true rationally. Bernays, he was part of a campaign, for example, to get women smoking by calling cigarettes torches of freedom and associating them with the suffragettes and women's rights. And it, uh, that came to fruition in the Virginia Slims ads of the early 1970s. You've come a long way, baby, uh, which were the same sort of movement. We can think of lots of other examples too. Coke sells us on youthfulness and freedom. Qantas, bizarrely, uses its ads to make us feel patriotically homesick. I saw an ad just this week. It was put in my, my feed and uh, it was seen as something to admire, which was an ad for Hugo Boss uh, men's perfume, whatever we call that now, cologne, right? Uh, and it stars actor Chris Hemsworth. He's a good-looking guy, right? He's the guy you want to be if you're a middle-aged guy who's a bit past it, like me, right? And... Hemsworth in the ads, it's really weird, is this kind of overlay that the narration of the ad is all about this wonderful aspiration for what a man should be. Hemsworth says it's about being kind and gracious and appreciative and being passionate and ambitious and chasing your dreams, but ensuring the path to that place to success is one of integrity, honesty and collaboration and respect for people involved in that journey. But the ad just tells me I'm going to be amazing I'm going to look fantastic if I just spray this lolly water on my skin. I'm going to look that good. And it appeals to me, even though it's telling me, oh, yes, I'm a man of integrity. It's appealing to my heart, my poor heart, that just wants to be a bit better looking than I am. Now, I'm sure you'll be sitting there and saying to yourself that you're above being seduced so callowly. You're better than me. 
That's the weird thing about this whole system. The world of consumption so successfully plays on our longings and desires that even when we can rationally step back and smile at what's being going, what going on, we can actually analyse it, we can even watch the Gruen transfer and talk about it, we're still sucked in by it anyway. I know rationally that I can't get happy just by buying stuff or having experiences. You know that, right? You're not stupid. But I feel the emotional connection to these things anyway. This is the tragedy of consumerism because we all know that it's a dud. We all know it can't deliver. We all know the promises are hollow. We know that spraying smelly stuff on me is not going to make me Chris Hemsworth. We all know that having stuff won't bless us. But we fall for it anyway. At least I do. It's a false hope, an empty dream, and it's killing our souls. But we go for it anyway. And as I was thinking about how to talk to you about this today, I, I realized there's, there's a bit of a problem here because I can't just tell you there's a deeper reality and a better, more blessed way to live because you kind of already know that. I can't just speak to your mind and hope to convince you because if you're like me, this isn't a mind problem. It's a heart problem. You have to believe in your heart that there's a deeper blessedness. It has to become part of your dreams. But you know, that's exactly how Jesus talks in the Sermon on the Mount when he tells us who the truly blessed really are. Remember who we thought was blessed. And have a look at the list that Jesus produces for us. Well, there's the the poor in spirit. There's those who mourn. There's the meek. There's those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Something's not right there, right? There's the merciful. They they don't get their own back. They never get even. There's the pure in heart. And there's the, the peacemakers. And we can get romantic about peacemakers, but when you make peace, you make peace at a cost. It hurts to do it. And then there's those who are persecuted for belonging to Jesus. Now, I, we must understand this isn't... A bunch of different groups. It's not as if it's a party and there's the meek over there hiding behind a pillar, of course, because they're meek. And there's the, the mourning over there crying and there's the peacemakers over there trying to get everyone to kind of be friends. He's actually saying this is a whole package here, a whole package of, of blessedness. And what would you say is the vibe of it, though? Well, first, you'd have to recognize that these aren't the playground bullies of life, are they? They don't seem to be the winners. And what is meek after all? I mean, what mouse do you, what mouse, what meek do you, what animal do you associate with meekness? Well, I've given it away, right? Public speaking fail. These are not people who have power. In fact, when they look at the world, they experience a tension between what is and what should be. And they see this not just in themselves, in others, but in themselves. See, this isn't a group of people who are, who are smug and superior to everyone else. They aren't self-righteous. They realize there's a tension in their own lives and in the lives and the experience of everyone else. This is why they mourn and why they are poor in spirit. Their experience is not of having something. It's actually experience of loss. They haven't attached to things. They look at the world and at themselves and they know that things just aren't right. 
They have eyes to see how the world really is. They can look through the fog, the miasma of products that swirls around us through the glossy dreams that are put in front of us and they can see the small child working in a factory in Bangladesh to make your running shoes. Oh, those running shoes that you bought because they were sold to you as a dream. But those running shoes were made by small hands for a tiny fraction of the price you will be paying for them because you're paying for the dream, not for the shoes. These people can see the young girl who's been trafficked online for the purposes of sex slavery despite the fog of our joy and our sexual liberation failing to see that our freedom is someone else's slavery. They are able to see the Rohingya family, Muslims, that have had to flee for their lives from the trauma of racist persecution from the government of Myanmar run by someone just a few years ago we gave a Nobel Peace Prize to. They can see our own indigenous people living in third world conditions in a first world country, pretending that another funeral of another young man who's taken his own life. They will see the spiritual lostness of a generation of young people caught in an epidemic of materialism, being preached a false and hollow religion, being encouraged to worship a false god, the god we've taught them to worship. When they look, it's not with a sense of moral superiority, but it's with mourning, isn't it? It's with tears. The tears that say the problem is not just out there. The problem's in me as well. The crack in the world runs through my own heart. And with this group of people, they know that they, they don't always speak the truth and they know that they nurse hatreds in their hearts and that they're riven with envy, that they have spoken maliciously about others, that they've not cared enough about the suffering of, of others. I'm only speaking of my own sins and only some of those. That's why these people who are blessed are filled with a particular longing. Have a look at the passage. What do they long for? They have a desire. What is it for? They hunger and thirst not for success or significance or security. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. For righteousness. Now we have to hear that. That's a very special biblical word, the word righteousness. It means justice. But it doesn't just mean justice in the sense of the scales of justice, of evening up the scales, of balancing things in that way. Justice in the Bible, righteousness in the Bible is God's justice, God's righteousness, his peace. It means right relationship with the creator of all things. It means where God rules. It means if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, your desire is for God to rule. It's the prayer that we pray every week. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you pray that prayer, you are hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness. But hold on, you might be saying, how is it that these people are blessed? I mean, is this just a nice romantic thing or a religious trick to make people not rebel? You know, you call the poor in spirit in the morning blessed because the rest of us are actually secretly feeling more blessed and we just tell those people that they're blessed so that they don't come and grab our stuff. 
No. Jesus gives us a reason why these people can be called blessed. Can you see them? They're blessed because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're blessed because they gain citizenship in God's own country. They're blessed because those who mourn will be comforted. Their tears will be wiped away. They're blessed because they will inherit the earth. Oh, we think they have nothing, but they will have everything. The creation and everything in it will belong to them as it had belonged to the first man and the first woman. Their hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled as at Christmas lunch. It will be a banquet of righteousness because God will bring his justice to the earth. They will be shown mercy. Their sins will be forgiven as they show mercy to others. And they will be able to live with God and his people in peace. They will see God and not just hear echo of him or rumor of him. They will see his glory in front of them. And they will be called the children of God. They will be the heirs of God's kingdom, part of his family, accepted, welcomed home, and held close in his arms. And all of these reasons have in common that they are about the future. They're promises, aren't they? They're things that are held up as things to long for that will happen one day. This is a promise that God will act and bring these things to pass. He will deliver on justice and peace and mercy. And those who long for those things are truly blessed because they can rest secure in the hope that God will do as he says. They can rest secure in the might and majesty and mercy of God. Even their own mistakes and regrets and wrongdoings will not restrict God's promise. They too will receive mercy, the mercy they need. And he's done that, as we know, and we'll remember a little bit later in the service, through his son, the one who uttered these words in the first place, who died to win us mercy and rose again to bring us new life. And this is the total key to it. Hoping for God's kingdom is what makes for blessedness. You want to be blessed? You want to be known as blessed? You want to experience blessing? Then long for God's kingdom to come. Pray that prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and mean in me as well as the rest of the world. See the kingdom of God as where the deepest longings of your heart will actually be met. When and where God rules, you and I will know true blessedness. And so this is where, this morning, I want to invite you to look into your heart, the place where you long for things, and say, what are the longings of my heart? Do I long for God's kingdom or for my own? Do I, When I pray, your kingdom come, do I really live as if I wanted to? Or is my heart still persuaded that these other dreams are where it's at? Am I still really worshipping at that other temple, the temple of consumerism? Because the evidence will be seen in our lives, won't it? The evidence will be evident, what evidence is. If my heart really longs for God's kingdom and his righteousness, then the desire for those other things won't rule over me. If my heart longs for God's kingdom, then I'll use the things that God has graciously given me, my treasure, my talents, my time, to pursue it. That will be my desire, the desire of my heart. And all these other things fall into line behind that desire. And Christians, those of us who know for ourselves the blessing of God's mercy and God's comfort, who know the wiping away of our tears 
who know God's peace in Jesus Christ, who know the hope that he brings, who know the true blessedness of those verses from Matthew, we will want others to know it too. We'll share in God's deep desire to see people become his children, not just because it's altruistic, but because it means we are truly blessed in that desire. You know, it's funny in that passage from Deuteronomy, which is a passage we normally uh, use to sort of talk about uh, our giving, uh, how we give to God. It's interesting, what do they do? That They set aside 10% and what do they do with it? 10% of all they have. They have, a, they have a massive feast, right? And it's interesting that it's kind of compulsory feasting because they're supposed to remember that doing this it's inclusive of all those who don't have anything, by the way. But to do this is actually a blessing, is actually to recognize God's blessing. Because God, in our pursuit of his kingdom, in our longing for his righteousness and justice, wants to bless us extraordinarily. And so here's the challenge for us today. If you long for God's kingdom, how is that showing with what you do with the things that you have if you share God's heart for the spiritual desert that is the eastern suburbs and that is Sydney, what are you doing about it? Or what are we doing about it? If you're concerned that our nation is becoming deaf to the good news of Jesus Christ, which is the best news there is, then what are you doing with the things you have to reverse this trend? If you're concerned that the young people of our nation have lost hope and direction, have lost this, this extraordinary vision that Jesus gives us in these verses, have never even heard of it, think it's ridiculous, then what are you doing to make sure they know about it? Now, am I talking about giving to church? Well, if I'm honest, yes, I am. But I'm talking about all that you and I can contribute to extending the kingdom of God in building this community, in loving one another, in committing to be transformed, in welcoming the outsider, in supporting our mission to the city, in seeing God perform the miracle of bringing people to Christ before our eyes. And with, your, with your generous support this year, God has worked extraordinary miracles in people's lives through the Alpha Course and other, and other ways too. It is extraordinary to see, in not necessarily dramatic ways, but in powerful ways. What a difference hearing the good news of Jesus Christ has made to people, old and young, people in their 90s, people in their teens, people in the middle. Hearing this, knowing that God's kingdom has been extended, has been an extraordinary blessing that we've shared in just this year. Because to know the heart of God and to share in bringing in his kingdom is to know the true blessing that comes from him, the real blessing that we as human beings, as his creatures, as his children, have been designed for. With that we say, Amen. This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. 